Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I am the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. We started off in in John 3 last week, and uh, Tuck brought us up through um, verse 15. I'm going to backtrack back over a little bit of what he read, and we're going to start reading uh, in chapter, or verse 9 of chapter 3 and go on through. Um, and I'll talk a little bit. I've got a couple of points to go through before we get started. So let's start reading um, John chapter 3, verse 9. It's just kind of picking up in the middle, but you'll understand. How can these things be? asked Nicodemus. Did I, did I dismiss the kids, or did they just go on their own? They just left. They, they got it down pat. This, this church runs on a rail, let me tell you. How can these things be, asked Nicodemus. Are you a te-? And then and Jesus speaks. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things, Jesus replied? I assure you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about things that happen on earth and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about things of heaven? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This then is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. John also was baptizing in Anan near Salem because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is flocking to him. John responded, no one can receive a single thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase but I must decrease. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true, for God sent him and he speaks God's word since he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray. Father God, I just think that 
it's an amazing thing that through all of these years, this one little episode between Jesus and a man at night comes down to us, and it's in a lot of ways the most important thing in Scripture. I pray, Lord, today in this new year that we could look at it and we could take something from it with us today that would, that would inspire us moving forward, that would be your word to us 2,000 years later, that as Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, he could speak to us this morning, and that it would be, it would be life in our hearts and that we would be able to leave here, like the song says, drawn near, and that we would insist on being drawn near to you throughout this year. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes and help us to see the truth that's in these verses today. And Lord, I pray that I would not say something that would be that would be wrong. Lord, I pray you would protect me from that. That you would help me to say what you have for us as a congregation here this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, uh, as I was preparing for this, uh, I struggled because I looked at this passage and I thought, how in the world am I supposed to make a connection between the, the various parts of it and I wanted to. I wanted to be. I wanted to be able to have a coherent whole to it, and yet it seemed too chopped up. And I read it, and I read it, and I read it. And I'm going to. I'm going to present something to you at the beginning that I'm kind of basing how I'm going to read the scripture today. But if you if you look at the if you look at the, the third chapter, there's you have Jesus and his conversation with Nicodemus, and then there's this insert about John the Baptist baptizing and him saying that, that Jesus has to increase and he decreases. And then it goes back to what, it, what appears to be like a theological discussion. So I've talked to several people about this, and, and uh, my wife's translation actually has it this way. Uh, her Bible has it kind of listed this way. But I want you to consider with me. I don't know if this is the case, but it does seem like it makes more sense to me. That the conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus continues after the little story about John the Baptist. So if you read it, it flows, theologically it flows straight through and continues with verse 31 through the end as if Jesus is still speaking. Or maybe John, the Apostle John, is kind of expounding on what Jesus had said earlier. But I want to look at it from that perspective and then take the, the part of John the Baptist and his statement about Jesus as sort of the second half of the chapter. So I've titled it today, uh, A Discourse of Authority, Reality, Faith, and Obedience. And I was in tears, actually, because when, when Jamie, the first song you sang, Draw Me Near, I was like, that's, that's the heart of what I wanted to share this morning, uh, that we become more like him. But then the last line, the last uh, song we sang, All Authority, and I thought, man, it's saying it again. And so I was excited about that. Um, and then Meredith's song fit in well. And so I, I trembled a little bit because I thought, this is what God wants us to say. And, and Brother Monk read from Isaiah 61, which is part of what I had hoped to read from. And it's encouraging to know that you're hearing from the Lord, but it's a little scary, too, because I don't want to mess it up. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I broke it down into the four pieces, authority, reality, faith, and obedience. And I prayed, prayed, Lord, help me figure this out. I don't understand how to put it together. And I was praying. And as I was praying, 
this format came to me. So I can take no credit for it. I'm just writing down what I heard. Um, but I think it fits. And so Jesus, it looks like, I've always read this, I've always read this passage as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. But it's always trumped by John 3.16, right? We don't really pay attention. I don't really pay attention to the verses around. It's just John 3.16. It's the greatest verse in the Bible. Even atheists know John 3.16. It's a wonderful verse. Let's go back and look at it a little closer. Nicodemus, as um, Tuck pointed out last week, is a leader. He is one of the top teachers in Israel. And Jesus is talking to him, and he's trying to explain something. He's trying to talk about this being born from above, this being born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus isn't getting it. And he just says, he says, how can these things be? I think he's trying to understand. He's just not getting it. And Jesus says, you, in the, verse 10, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? And then he says, I assure you, we speak of what we know. And we, we? And then he says this, if I have told you about things that happen on earth and you don't believe, how will you believe I would tell you about things that happen in heaven? And this is where I've always missed, and I think what he's saying in this, this whole thing with the serpent on the, on the rod, on the stick in the wilderness, I think that he's accessing what Nicodemus can understand. And so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that as the faith um, in Nicodemus' faith in this situation. But then Jesus goes on and he says, uh, well, he's telling Nicodemus, we speak of these things because we know them. We, and, then he, and then we'll jump down. And this is where I wanted to set the preface. I'm going to move through, assuming that this is Jesus still speaking, or at least John um, elaborating on it, down to verse 31. This is what he says. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies of what he has seen and heard. The one who accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. What is he doing? It's like he's just kind of like on this robotic round and round of saying the same thing. This is what I think he's saying. I have the authority to speak. And the reason I have the authority to speak is because I'm the only one that's been there. Now, probably most of us have said this. Some of us know people who would say it that are not believers. They would say something to this effect. Well, Jesus was a good man. He was... You know, he's a good moral teacher. He taught us how to, how to do things right and live correctly. <laughs> no. He's either, he's, it's, this is either true, or he's the craziest man that has ever existed. I want you to hear, this is, I do not mean that in any way insult to him. I mean it absolutely sincerely. We read the scriptures, and we hear Jesus say things like this. Hey, we speak about things we know about. I'm from above. I'm the only one that's come down from above. And we give it to him. Why? Because we've been taught to do that. But what if you were Nicodemus sitting there that night? Jesus, I don't get it. I don't understand. And Jesus is saying, listen, Nicodemus, I've got authority. These are my points of authority. I'm the son of God. My word. You know that place where God dwells? I've been there. I've come down. And that gives me the authority to speak. Because Nicodemus, you've never been there. You can't speak to it, but I can. I've been there. And then, at the end, verse 35, it says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things in His hand. Nicodemus, I can speak to this because it all belongs to me in the end. 
I want to just reiterate by reading. I love C.S. Lewis, and he says things much better than me, so I just want to read what he says. <laughs> I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. And one of the things that I just, I wanted to um, bring this morning was as we go into this new year, I would like us to go looking at our scripture, looking at the Lord of heaven with renewed respect. I thought about it often. John, the apostle John was Jesus, as far as we can tell, pretty much his best friend on earth. And when John is on the island of Patmos and, and the revelation comes to him and Jesus is standing there and he, he doesn't. He doesn't sit in his bosom like he used to when he was on earth. He falls at his feet as if he's dead because this same man who was his best friend on earth is now so much above him that there is no comparison. And I want to I try to get a, a, new, a new appreciation of that. So that's the authority. Jesus gives Nicodemus this authority. He says, these are my credentials. I have the right to speak. Nicodemus, listen to me. And Nicodemus, as far as we know, is still listening. And then... Based on that, he goes on to the reality. So, so we have the authority that I think most of us in the room today accept. The authority that Christ has comes from the Father because he's been with the Father. He's the Son of the Father. He is, has been there and has come down and is sharing with us of what he has seen and heard. All things are his. And then he begins to talk to Nicodemus about a different reality. Now, Jesus was a Jew in first century Palestine, and the Romans were in charge, and the Sanhedrin was corrupt, and Jesus is going to eventually die for it. But he has, in the middle of all of this, he has this, this the audacity to say, hey, by the way, this actually isn't the most real thing. There's another greater reality. And I was thinking about it this week. Um, we actually have that here in Surrey. On the average summer day in Surrey, the cicadas are buzzing and it's hot and the mosquitoes are trying to eat you and it doesn't feel like much is going on, right? And so I have to tell this story to illustrate the reality. Um, for those of you that don't know Josiah Barrett, he's the oldest son of Ray and Jill, and he told me this story and thought it was great great fun doing it. He was working out at Chip Oaks one afternoon. And those of you that live in the area know that every Wednesday, the, or every once a month, the siren goes off, that they're testing the siren for the power plant. And Josiah knew that it was going to happen that day. And he was working with a bunch of kids from out of state. And so he sets the stage by telling them about the power plant and what happens if it blows, and how we're all going to die from radiation. And he says, and, and there's this series of signals, these sirens all around the, the, the county. And when those go off, that's it. He sets the stage for it. Ten minutes later, 
He told me this. He said, one of the, the young ladies looked at him and said, what was that? And he said, I stuck out my hand and said gravely, it was nice knowing you. <laughs> but that's the other reality. Here we have this pretty low-key county, but there is always hanging over us. I don't think there's a real possibility, but there is the reality that if something were to occur, tiny little particles that we can't see would float out here and change our lives forever because it's a reality that's just as real as the one we're living. You understand what I'm saying? Still in our world, but it's a reality that's there nonetheless. And the only thing I know about it is what people who have been there and tell me about it. So Christ comes along and he tells Nicodemus, there's this other reality. Let me tell you about this other reality. <clears throat> and that's where he gets to verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He says, Nicodemus, my father loves the world. And that's why I'm here. I'll tell you something about him, Nicodemus. Your father, my father, didn't send me here to condemn us. He didn't send me here to make sure everybody knows how bad they are and that they're going to hell if they don't repent. That's not why I'm here. He sent me here for salvation. He sent me here to get the message through that there's a way out of the reality that's hanging over you. And I used to wonder about that. I, th I thought to myself, well, that's kind of strange because it wasn't the point of him coming. Didn't it have to do with our condemnation? Yes, it did. But it would be like those sirens going off if something were to happen and those sirens went off. Those sirens are not our condemnation. Those sirens are our salvation. It's the warning to get out. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, well, we'll continue. Verse 18, anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Now, back up. I, I'm glad I wasn't Nicodemus that night. Because I'll tell you the truth, it's hard enough to change your opinion about something when it is presented to you logically, systematically over time, and you come to see that it's, this is true and not this. I've been taught this my whole life, but this is actually true. It's hard enough to get there. But imagine Nicodemus struggling through. I mean, he's like walking through, through eight feet of snow trying to get to the house, right? And, and Jesus doesn't let up on him. I mean, he just, he just keeps coming at him. But, he gives him. but he gives him a little, he gives him a little taste. So he says, here's this other reality. I'm from this other place, and I've been sent in here to save you. I've been sent in here to let you know that condemnation is on the house. Now, let me give you an illustration about it, Nicodemus. Do you remember back in the wilderness... And I, I was thinking about this, this story and wondering how it is, like, Jesus took what Nicodemus knew and utilized that. 
to help him to help him move from from a state of disbelief to a state of belief. And I and I thought about it this week that as we as we listen to this, I was pondering myself, how do I take how do I take this this concept that Jesus gives here and apply it in my own life when I'm talking to people to to show them that salvation is there along with condemnation. So he says to Nicodemus, do you remember the story about the serpent on the pole? Mm-hmm. I'm adding in here, okay, let's just go with it. But this, I, think it's what, I think the premise is what he's talking about. Nicodemus, do you remember that story? How were they healed? Well, they looked at the snake and, and they were healed, really. Explain that one, Nicodemus. Like, you're laying there dying of a snake bite and you look at this brass serpent that Moses has got hung on a, on a tree somewhere and you can look at that and somehow or another, it all comes good. What happened? I don't know. I mean, it just, they were healed. God healed them. Okay, Nicodemus, we're just having this discussion about the spirit and how the spirit moves and we can't understand it. That's what I'm talking about. You get that, Nicodemus? Mm, Yeah, that makes sense to me. All right. Now listen to what I'm going to say, Nicodemus. This is what's about to happen. The snake bite, Nicodemus, that you look at and you think, well, that was a physical bite. There's a spiritual one now. That's the other reality. You die in this world, but there's another overlapping reality. That snake bite is in verse 19. This then is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's the snake bite. We can't get away from it. Nicodemus, I'm about to be the serpent. And somehow or another... In the same way that you can't explain how someone can look at a bronze snake and be healed. There's no medical explanation for that. That's miraculous supernatural power. There's nothing else to explain it. Nicodemus, somehow when you recognize that the snake bite of your inability to do righteousness, when you recognize that that snake has bitten you and you look at me hanging on the on the, on the stick, like that serpent was. Somehow something passes there, Nicodemus, that I can't, I mean, maybe Jesus said he couldn't explain it. Maybe he said it's not something that you can understand, but I know it's going to happen. And somehow or another, I think Nicodemus believed that night because we go on in the, in the New Testament to find uh, more about him. Find out that he does become a believer. He does work with, like he's, him and Joseph of Arimathea take down the body of Christ and, and put it in a tomb. I think that Nicodemus got it that night. And I'll tell you, it actually meant something to me this week because so many times we try, I try, maybe I should say I, because not everybody is like me, but I try to figure things out. And sometimes I don't understand it. And so it's easy to either intellectually understand something or to assume that there's nothing there. And I've done it with people before. Maybe you have. Have you ever, have you ever seen someone come to Christ and you look at him and you, you raise your eyebrow and you say, hmm, I wonder if that's going to stick. Probably felt that way about Chuck. He was a cranky old guy. 
still is. <laughs> I've done it many times, many times. Hmm, we'll see. It's my natural, my natural man speaking there. I, I don't know. I, I'm not the one to judge that. I do know that sometimes someone makes a profession of faith and nothing ever changes. And we know that that was not a faith that was to salvation. But here Jesus has given him a picture. And there is something in that picture as Jesus points back to the serpent and he says, listen, that serpent is somehow representative of me. And actually, when I first put these two together, I got kind of offended. I'm like, what? Jesus, like the serpent is always, always a bad symbol in Scripture. And then Jesus says, but I'm going to be like that serpent. And then it dawned on me, the serpent represented the thing that killed the people. The snakes were biting them, they were dying, and they put the thing that represents their death on the cross. But that's exactly, that is exactly what Jesus was. Not before the cross, but when he's hanging on the cross, somehow or another, all of the sins of all of the world Turn him into the blackest snake that ever existed. And I think sometimes we, we overlook that. I know I do. But I had an illustration of it this week. Can you imagine? Jesus is in the, he's in the garden and he says, God, please, please, Lord, take this from me. Father, I don't want to deal with this cup. And we, we tend to, I tend to look at sin and I, I excuse a lot of it. You know, I know the bad ones. I don't want to do the bad ones, but the ones that I commit periodically are, nah, they're more like mistakes, right? They're not. What if, what if someone said to you, here's a cup of water for you to drink and you look in it and you're like, what is in there? And they said, oh, I dipped it out of the septic tank. That's a whole, and there, not a person in this world that I know of would drink that. N under no circumstances could you get me to drink that. And yet that is minuscule compared to what the sins of the entire world, all of your sins, just in this room alone would be enough to make our Lord throw up, Right? And I don't think Nicodemus understood it that night. But when he's, maybe when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he starts crying, my God, why have you forsaken me? Maybe Nicodemus is putting all these things together. I don't know. But he gets it. Now, so Jesus sets up his authority. He sets up that there's a different reality, and he's a part of that reality. He is, he is in our reality. He is fully human, but he is also part of a different reality. He's fully God. <clears throat> Now, like I said, I called several people this week about my transitioning the, the two sections of Scripture here, but uh, I got the go-ahead from someone who I consider very wise. He said, just, just say it as a, maybe this is how it is, because I certainly don't want to cast any doubt on Scripture. I believe that we got it just the way God intended it. 
But if we take verse 22 through verse 30 as the, the portion about John the Baptist, and let's read it. Having Jesus having established his authority, having established the reality that supersedes ours and is greater than ours, and having established that faith somehow, faith somehow communicates God's righteousness to us. Faith somehow changes things. Faith somehow brings healing in a way that we can't explain. Now, let's read this passage um, from John, of John the Baptist's uh, life. Uh, starting in verse 25, because it's talking about Jesus baptizing. And then it says, Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. I think that's in there, um, because I think what he's saying here is that uh, matter of fact, in chapter four, verse one, it'll talk about it'll it'll link back to that. But I think that there was a Jew that came, perhaps a Pharisee or something, that's talking to them and saying, and I think that's where the information came from. Hey, do you guys know that Jesus is over there baptizing too, and he's got bigger crowds than you do? And so they came. They, his disciples come to him and say, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan, he's baptizing, and everyone's flocking to him. Let's go back and review John the Baptist a little bit, okay? Jesus said of John the Baptist, there was no one ever born greater than John. He's about six months older than Jesus. And right now it says, uh, since in verse 24, since John had not yet been thrown in prison. So he's still out. He's still free. And he's ministering simultaneously with Jesus. But his goal, and he said it many times, his goal was he was the, he was the, the Elijah pointing the way to the Messiah that was coming. John is miraculously born. He is born of a woman who is way too old to have a baby. And as far as what we can tell, he was raised probably in the desert with a group called the Essenes. Very, uh, you would call them a very conservative group. Um, more interested in study and prayer and fasting than they were in feasting, let's put it that way. And so he grows up in the wilderness with this group of people that are very strict. And about 30 years old, which is about the time that most of the Jews would have come to uh, whatever ministry would start, the, the priests, the Levites were first set up to come into uh, ministry at the temple when they were 30 years old. They ministered from 30 to 50. And so he would have been about 30 when he starts his ministry. So he's only maybe a year or two in at this point. His whole life, can you imagine? His whole life, the people that around him said, John, what in the world is God going to do through you? You're miraculously born. Your dad saw an angel. He prophesied over you. What? This is amazing. Can you think about that? Imagine if that directed your life. And at 30 years old, you start preaching. You're preaching out in the wilderness, and you preach a hard message. And people are coming, and you are seeing genuine repentance, and you're seeing people wanting to change their ways. You're seeing real ministry and real fruit, and it's exciting. And then you get word that, uh-oh, your popularity is going down. Now, I don't think John was driven by popularity, but I do think that he was a human like us. So let's go back and read some more. John responded, no one can receive a single thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, uh, but I must decrease. Now, John doesn't know that in about a year, he's going to be dead. 
So I think he's, I think he's saying truth here. And I'm sure that he believes it. But it's going to be tested, and we know that because there's another passage in which he begins to question. But let's look at it for a little bit. His analogy, so, so Nicodemus' analogy is the serpent on the pole healing the people many years ago. He's the teacher of Israel. John's analogy is there's this guy, this friend of the groom. There's this, and I don't quite know how it all worked out back then, but it sounds like the groom, his best man, was kind of the guy who made sure that the whole thing wound up happening. Maybe he, maybe he protected the, the groom during that year of courtship so that they, he wouldn't do something stupid and hurt himself or whatever. I don't know. But somehow his goal, his goal was not the bride. His goal is to get the bride and the groom to the wedding night. That's his goal. Once that's over, it's over for him because this man now is married and he's in a different status in their, in their society and things are different now. His goal is complete the night of the wedding. And so John says, listen, don't y'all realize that that's the whole point of me being here? I want to jump, I want to, I want to jump forward in John's life just a little bit and actually go to Isaiah 61 because this is what Jesus quotes at the beginning of his ministry. Uh, when he almost gets himself stoned for it, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Thank you, monk, for reading it. Because the Lord has anointed me to, and these are the things he's supposed to do. The Messiah is supposed to do. He's supposed to bring good news to the poor. He's supposed to heal the brokenhearted. He's supposed to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance. To comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion. Jesus said that. And then he sat down when he was in Capernaum and he read that and he said, this day, that has been fulfilled in your ears. And so John, shortly hereafter, winds up in prison. I don't know how long he's there, but he's in prison. What do you think's ringing through his ears? The Messiah is here. Heal the sick. Bring joy to those who mourn. Free those who are prisoners and proclaim liberty to the captives. Come on, Jesus. Let's get this act together. I got ministry to do alongside of you. I know I'm reading into it, but I do think that it's worth looking at. If you go to Luke 7, verse 18 says, So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord, asking, Are you the one who's to come? Or should we look for someone else? When the men reached him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we look for someone else? Verse 21, at that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, plagues, evil spirits, and he granted sight to many blind people. He replied to them, go and report to John the things you have seen and heard. Listen to what he's supposed to report. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with skin diseases are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. He missed one in there. You see that? He missed the one about him setting at liberty the captives. And then he says, and blessed is he who's not offended in me. I say that to say this, that this business of increasing and decreasing, um, I think is for me, after studying it, really the crux of this passage. 
I always thought John 3.16 was the center point, but John 3.16 is him doing for us what we can't do. But, and we do well to look at that and to ponder his authority, his reality, and our faith in him. But our faith then requires something. So let's go back. How does this apply to us? If he has authority, what are we supposed to do with that? I read something this week that I thought was interesting. Um, I don't know if it's true or not, but someone said that supposedly people believe more in like the supernatural, at least this was years ago, in a world where a king is in charge. And they believe more in the natural world in a world where democracy is the primary uh, government mode. I thought that was interesting because it's, it says that in our mindset, when we think king, we think bad guy who wants to squish you. They look at king and they see the authority of God. I don't know, I'm, I'm surmising here. I just read that and I thought that was an interesting thing. We look at it and say, no one's gonna tell me what to do. This is a free democratic society. And I think it works against us. So let's talk about it. We're called on to accept his authority and submit to it. If indeed Jesus is the Son of God, and if indeed he speaks because he's been to heaven and he sits by the Father, and he can speak from that, then he has the right to tell us what to do. You just can't get around it. And there's no one bigger than him, no one else to go to. And then he says, hey, by the way, this reality that you're in is not the best reality. There's another reality, and I'm a part of that one, and let me tell you about it. This is the one where these all, all this Isaiah 61 things happen. It's in the spiritual that you begin to see me in a different way. And I want you to stop looking like Peter, stop looking at the waves, and start looking at me. Why? Because it's real easy to get stuck in the reality we live in and forget the reality that's greater than this one. John the Baptist gets beheaded. He never gets out of prison. Jesus never rescues him. And he gets beheaded in such a humiliating and pathetic way because the governor is seduced by a little girl who asks at the end for John the Baptist's head. I mean, that's just, he could go out as a, a warrior or something, but just because of some stupid little tryst in the, in the, uh, in the, in the court. I think the problem for us lies here. If I, I will say this, I'm not going to speak for John the Baptist, but if I was John the Baptist and I had had all those miraculous things leading up to this point of ministry, this tremendous ministry, this bringing in of the Messiah, I would have hoped that my ministry would have been extended alongside of him and I would have wanted to move forward. And he says, he must decrease, but I must decrease. So I was talking to Jimmy about it, and he said, well, make sure you talk about what Christ increasing and what you decreasing actually is, because it's real easy to say, oh, well, he must decrease, and I must decrease, and that's the end of the story. It's all good, right? <clears throat> but I actually think it's simpler than what we could make it. There's many ways to describe it, but I think this is essentially it. If we submit to his authority and his reality, we are asked to believe that he's our sacrifice, our serpent on the pole. And if we do that, that's faith in Christ. 
Now, this faith in him is anchored in his authority and his reality, which means he has the right to tell us what to do, and we have the responsibility to obey his commands. So I asked Meredith if I could uh, use her as an example, and she said, well, I don't know. She said, when I told her what I wanted to say, and she said, well, I'm supposed to be doing a song Sunday morning. I said, that's perfect. Meredith was once a young girl with dreams and her life in front of her, and she was in charge of herself. She went to college, and it was cool, and she could make her own decisions and go to Chick-fil-A if she wanted to and not go to Chick-fil-A if she didn't want to. And all of us that were here at the time knew her and liked her, and she was wonderful, and we were proud of her. And no one would have said, well, you know, Meredith needs to decrease. She's just, there's just too much Meredith around here. Because she was a blessing. And then, she fell in love with a farmer. And all the dreams she had of being a great singer that many people knew went right out the window. Because when you're married to a farmer, you probably don't have much and you don't have a lot of time extra to be traveling the world and singing for people. And Meredith in that moment decreased. She herself decreased. She had to give up herself for the sake of someone else. I tell you, I'm gonna tell you this story because one of my sons asked me not too long ago, do you think, he said, do you think Meredith resents the fact that she's just a farmer's wife? Matt, I don't mean to be throwing you under the bus, brother. <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying? In our reality, being a world-renowned singer is much greater than being just a farmer's wife. But there's another reality, and this reality is here. And it says things like, the older women teach the young women to love their husbands, to be good keepers at home, to love their children. It says weird things like that, things that are meaningless to us. Well, that's no way to live your life. Don't you realize we have to seek fame and fortune and be somebody? And then one day Meredith had a baby, and she decreased even further because now it wasn't just Matt asking things of her, and now she had a, a baby who she couldn't even talk back to. Well, maybe she could talk back to you, but it didn't do any good. He still needed what he needed. And every step of the way, we're decreasing. But you know, I don't think that any one of us in here would say that she is worse for being less. We would say she's blessed with a good husband, even if she doesn't always say that. We would say she's blessed with a good husband. She's blessed with the love of kids. Do you understand what I'm saying? That which caused her to decrease gave her increase in another area. And I think that's what Christ is calling us to. It's really, really simple. You take this book and you say, on his authority, because of his reality, there's things in here that I do not understand. And my dad used to say, you obey first and you understand later. And you just do it because somehow in God's world, it doesn't make sense to us. But in God's world, it is more important to be a mother and a wife than to be a world-renowned singer. Do you understand what I'm saying? His increase comes at our decrease when we don't even understand it. And so in this new year, 
I want to say this. It's in submissive obedience to his word that we begin to change to be like him. For only in obedience can he first show us our sinfulness and secondly, deal with it. You cross my will and you'll find out how angry I get. Never cross my will, I'll never have to deal with anger. You cross my will and I'll know who I am. But in that, if I'm increasing Christ in my life, then I will know what to deal with and he will know how to deal with me on it. So in this new year, look at it day by day, moment by moment, as an opportunity to grow to be like him. I think we're so used to, I say it often, how can OSHA make me do these things? It's so frustrating. Don't they realize I've got to make a living? I wish EPA wasn't so hard on us. This is ridiculous. And I really do think that, by the way. But the point is, is that on all hands, all around us, on all sides, we are forced to comply with rules. But when we come to the scriptures, we say, well, he didn't mean that because that would be too hard. That, that's ridiculous. And we also say, well, he couldn't have meant that because that would mean like we actually have to do something for our salvation. This is not what I'm talking about. I want to read you in closing what C.S. Lewis had to, I love C.S. Lewis, what he had to say about this particular aspect of obedience through faith. People often think of Christian morality as a kind of bargain in which God says, if you keep a lot of rules, I'll reward you. And if you don't, I'll do the other thing. I do not think that is the best way of looking at it. I would much rather say that every time you make a choice, listen carefully, every choice, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses your will, into something a little different from what it was before. Whether you choose to snap back at your husband or your wife or your kids, whether you choose to seethe just a little bit when that person cuts you off in traffic. That would probably be me because I drive slower than everybody else, on, especially on Mill Swamp. If you get behind me, forgive me. Young people, when your dad says do this or your mom says do that or don't do that, anger inside. Every choice, every choice, twisting one way or another. Listen, into something a little different from what it was before and taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven, that is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us, at each moment, is progressing to the one state or the other. So I close with that. When Christ increases, we're slowly becoming like him. When we decrease, we're slowly be turning away from that single person with all of his desires and selfishness into something that sometimes feels beat down, but is more Christ-like. Do you understand? But it's every choice every day. The first one you make in the morning, the one you make in the middle of the day, the ones that you don't even thinking about making, they just come. Each one turns you slightly 
for his increase or for and for your decrease or the verse and it adds up over time it's not something that we can see all in one moment so this is my this is my prayer from the book of Daniel remember he said he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat purpose in your heart that Christ will increase in you and you will decrease by submissively being obedient to his authority. His authority is this book. Get to know it this year. In a year from now, be less of you. In a year from now, let Christ be more of you. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing here locally in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.